Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. today and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord there's joy in the house of the lord today and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord Shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise.
Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, many of you probably don't know me. I'm, I'm Brent Ball, married to that lovely lady over there, Barb. Um, <laughs> it's uh, for two years, so they said it wouldn't last. So um, <laughs> it's, Both of our spouses died a number of years ago, to make a long story short, and God was gracious and allowed me to meet that wonderful woman. Anyway, so by way of introduction, as Pastor said, I'm relatively new. Um, I had the privilege of, of uh, joining the church recently, and uh, my, my wife and I both, and we're really glad to be here. Um, and I have a confession to make. I, uh, I love Jesus. I, I, I say uh, occasionally, I look at my wife and I say, because she married a touchy-feely, sensitive guy, uh, and, you know, the funny thing is, is I've always admired, uh, you know, people like actors like John Wayne, you know, for those of you who are my age would know who that is, um, you know, unfortunately often resemble Barney Fife. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, and that's unfortunately true in my, my Christian life too. You know, you want to be strong and, and independent and, you know, and victory to victory, right? And, you know, my journey's been a little different than that. Um, I look back, I've been a Christian for 50 years come this May. Uh, when I was 12, gave my heart to the Lord. Um, my parents became Christians. They were definitely, they, they were, were what most people would call good people. Uh, of course, you, you would know that nobody's good. But th- they were what most, most of us would say were good people. Uh, but they did, definitely did not follow the Lord. Um, uh, they believed, I guess, but just didn't. didn't you know, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, my parents became Christians uh, in their 40s and committed their lives. So they went to a little Methodist church and went to an altar call. And next thing you know, they're going to church all the time. And they're praising God and they're praying. And their lives were so changed. I'm one of five children. I'm the youngest. Um, and uh, those of you who aren't the youngest, quit whining. Okay? Um, yeah, yes, we're spoiled. We deserve it. Uh, but uh, um, my parents... Uh, my two older siblings were uh, away from home, but we still saw them frequently. And um, that changed the course of my entire family's life. Their witness was so strong and so compelling. And the change in their life was so complete that within short order, my next older brother and myself and my next older brother than that, Bruce, uh, gave our hearts to the Lord. And within two more years, my... Uh, oldest brother and my, my sister, who was the oldest, um, uh, gave their hearts to the Lord uh, in a very dramatic fashion. My, my brother Glenn, just as an example, uh, well, my, I cannot stress to you how much this changed my family's life. We were headed in the wrong direction. I was only 12, so I couldn't get in much trouble. But my older siblings, let's just say, were doing and, and involved in things that many of you could imagine. And um, it was not good. Now, my parents didn't raise us that way. They were, you know, but that's just the way, the way we were, you know. And I'm sure that I would have ended up there eventually. Um, but all my siblings married Christian spouses, raised their kids for the Lord. And now we have a clan of Jesus lovers, you know. Um, uh, the, I will say my one brother uh, who did give his heart to the Lord maybe is questioning that now. But still... God has, has not forgotten him either. Um, 
when I look back at my life, I, I just shake my head because the grace of God is everywhere. The footprint of God is everywhere. And I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm, I don't know why he's been so good to me. I don't know why he loves me. I, I often look at him and say, you know, you got the short end of the stick, Lord. I, I don't understand why you even care. I've failed him more than I, I care to admit, but I have frequently. And uh, in the midst of it, he still loves me. Uh, I can't explain it, but I certainly am grateful for it. Um, I, I, there was a, many times in my life when I feel like God intervened. Lanny, you were talking about how God you know, intervened in your life. I think God does. He takes an interest in our lives. And um, I remember when my kids were, my son's appendix burst. I remember him doubling up on the couch. And, and I raced to the hospital, drove like a maniac. And I just cried out to God the whole way, you know, and he heard me. Now, I know bad things happen, and things don't always go the way we want. But in that instance, God heard my prayer. He did. Uh, you know, I, we, we, time and time again, things like that have happened in my life. Um, times that I should, I should be badly injured or dead on more than one occasion. I should, should not even be here, probably. And God spared me. I don't know why. I could, can't explain it. Um, I remember we, my wife and I, my first wife and I, uh, present company accepted. <laughs> um, we, when we were young, we, we didn't, we never had a whole lot. You know, we, we were fine. We, we paid our bills and we lived, you know, okay. But we just we lived paycheck to paycheck like, like a lot of young people do. And we had two small children. And I remember wanting to be sure that my kids would go to college. And I knew I couldn't do it. I knew that I wouldn't be able to. I knew it. But I prayed and prayed over the years. And miraculously, a miracle, out of the blue, this woman that my wife had known since childhood that had kind of kept in touch with, but maybe once a year, you know, a Christmas card or maybe a phone call occasionally, calls up my wife. And in, in conversation, she mentioned that my son had applied to college, and we were concerned that he wouldn't get in at the college he applied to because it was very hard to get in. And then we were also concerned because maybe he would. <laughs> you know, many of you can identify with that, I'm sure. And that's all she said, you know, just in passing. And unbeknownst to her, I mean, this woman was from humble means. She grew up on the same street my wife did. And um, unbeknownst to us, she married a, a guy who had done very, very well. And she calls my wife back a week later and says, uh, we want to pay for your son's college education. <laughs> How could I not love him? How could I not? What a great God we have. Um, and because at that same time, God blessed my work and I started making better money. And through other means, God enabled me to send my daughter to school as well, which, which was amazing. Because if you knew my past and our finances, you would say impossible. But God is not... A, He's a God of the impossible. He is. Um, I don't want to go on and on. I'm sorry. Um, when, uh, probably about, I don't know, when I was in my late 40s, my wife came down with uh, cancer. Uh, she, she, unbeknownst to us, she, she became, it's just a lot of weird things started happening to her that they couldn't figure it out. Um, a lot, a lot, she started having numbness and pains all over her body. But one doctor told her it was all in her head. Um, he didn't, he meant well, but he thought, he generally thought she was making it up. Um, and here to find out, she had a tumor at the top of her spine. 
So she went for surgery, and the next morning, we're sitting in her hospital room, and they come in, and they say, oh, well, we didn't get all the tumor. We got as much as we could, but it's all up and down her spine. And then the next day, oh, it's spread throughout her rib cage and her, all her bones. It's all over her body. Stage four cancer from the get-go. I watched. We shut the door. We turned the lights off, and we cried, and we prayed, uh, cried out to our God, because who else would I turn to? Who else is there for us? Um, he never left us. I watched over the next eight years as she struggled and, and eventually died, bedridden for the last year of her life, or seven, eight months, I guess, not really a year. But when we put the hospital bed and we, we decided to keep her at home, I was determined to not put her in an institution. Um, we put our hospital bed in the living room. And again, that first day, all we did was we just cried out to our God. And I, I swear to you, from that moment, we never asked. We never looked. We never, from that moment, help came out of the woodwork. People, phone calls, messages, you know, cards, meals, meals. Oh, my gosh. Friends, neighbors, relatives, church. Out of the woodwork. I never saw the like of it and probably never will see it again. It was unbelievable. And um, it, it, the whole time she was bedridden, it was like that. Um. I can never pay those people or our God back, but I can tell you that it was awful, but we were held in the palm of our God's hands the whole time, and that's the truth. I never felt closer to him than I did then. Um, he never promised us that things will always go our way, but he said he would never leave and forsake us, and I am here to testify that, that is true. Uh, uh, that's all. All right, John chapter 6. Again, we are continuing on with the seven miracles of Jesus Christ that John chose to include in his gospel. And remember, John tells us why he, he included these seven signs, these seven miracles in John twenty thirty says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Amen? <laughs> These are seven miracles meant to encourage us in our faith when we find ourselves in different circumstances, that we may believe in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. So the context for this passage can be seen in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they were watching the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. But Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. So here's the context, right? There's a large crowd coming to Jesus. Why? Well, because he's performing miracles. He's healing the sick. Some people place this story in the final years of Jesus' public ministry. So a lot has been done. There is a buzz about this Jesus, this man named Jesus. So people were following him. Awful, specifically, we saw at the end of this, there were a lot of people coming and going because of Passover. Passover was one of the three feasts called the Pilgrim Feasts. That no matter where you lived, you would go back to Jerusalem to attend. So a lot of people in this area 
A lot of people looking for this Jesus. Where do they find him? He's sitting on a mountain with his disciples. In all four Gospels, Jesus lifts up his eyes and sees this large crowd. In Matthew's Gospel, it actually tells us that that the disciples tell Jesus to send these people away. And if, if you don't know what that's about, you, you see, prior to them being on this mountain, they have been ministering. They're, they're tired. In fact, Jesus had sent them out all on a ministry trip, and they had been casting out demons and, and proclaiming the words that he shared with them to share with other people. Some people accepted it. Some people rejected it. Some went good. Some went bad. But then they come back and tell Jesus about what happened. At the same time, some friends of of John the Baptist arrive, and I'm sure they were visually distraught because they come bearing the news that John has been beheaded. So there's, I'm sure, grief for Jesus in this moment. It's his cousin. I'm sure there's grief for his disciples, for some of them had previously been John's disciples. So Jesus recognizes this, right? And he's like, let's get away. Let's take a second. Let's pause ministry. Let's just get up on a a mountaintop where we can just be alone and rest. And that's what we see here. And by the way, I, I love this image, right? I love this image of being alone with Jesus on a mountaintop. And you can experience that too in your quiet time, right? Those special times where you can just get away, spend time in his word and, and talk to him in prayer. But as Doug pointed out last week, 20,000 people show up on their day off, their time off. 5,000 men, Matthew's gospel tells us that this number doesn't include women and children, so likely somewhere around 20,000, 15,000 show up on their break. Send them away, Jesus, right? That's the call. I have come to learn that some of the greatest things, some of the greatest moments that have come into my life have been when I have allowed myself to be interrupted. Allow yourself to be interrupted. Let God work in those situations. From from here we see Jesus feed them, and as Doug pointed out, this was a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18.15, pointing to Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. And this leads us in our passage today, John 6, beginning at verse 15. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? (coughs) so jesus aware that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone now when evening came his disciples went down to the sea and after getting into a boat they started to cross the sea to capernaum it had already become dark and jesus had not yet come to them In addition, the sea began getting rough because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they rode about 25 or 30 stadia, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Father, speak to us through your word. Lord, this is is our request to you. Lord, we pray that we would hear from you, not through any mortal person, but you alone, Spirit. You have right away. Soften our hearts, open our ears and our eyes. 
Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we said there is already this buzz about this Jesus, and then he performs this miracle to 20,000 people. And because of this, we see that they intend to make him king by force. This is what the disciples were hoping would happen, right? This is how the disciples pictured the whole thing going. Think about this. What would this mean for the disciples if that were to happen? They are Jesus' closest companions, right? And if he was elevated to king, what, that, what would that mean for them? What would that mean for their country? Could they finally be set free from a Roman occupation? They'd experience instant celebrity, right? Instant status, instant wealth. They would be it. Their problems would be solved. At least that's how they picture it. Sometimes we, we think power and success and favor are the answer to our problems. And so oftentimes we desire it, but sometimes we're not ready for it, right? We're not ready for that success and that power, and it can lead us to brokenness. How many times do you see people pushed into the spotlight only to see them months later fall in some horrible way? Not only the secular world, but how many times do our heroes in the church end up falling because they can't handle the celebrity. I envision, I envision 20,000 people chanting, or at least murmuring, let's make Jesus king. And Jesus is like, let's get out of here. In Matthew's account, 14.22, it says, immediately afterward, he compelled the disciples to get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. He gets his disciples out of there. If you're the disciples, you have to be super confused at this moment, right? Why are we leaving? Why aren't we going with this? This is the way forward. This is, in our man-made wisdom, the right path, the way that we should be going. They joined Jesus to see their country change. They joined Jesus to see their country set free. And what better way than to make Jesus king? This is what they had been expecting But Jesus goes, as he often does, in the opposite direction, right? Why? Because he's not interested in establishing an earthly kingdom, right? He's not interested in becoming a new political party. He's ushering in a kingdom without boundaries, the kingdom of God. Also, he knows his disciples aren't ready for this. They're weak. They would have went with the crowd. Yes, let's make Jesus king. That will solve our problems. They would have went with man's wisdom, And let me remind all of us, right, we can't go with the crowd. We can't. The answer to our problems doesn't come from earthly kingdoms. We swim against the culture, right? We stand against it. We're a part of the upside-down kingdom. That's who we're called to be as the chosen ones of God. So he sends them away. Where does he send them? He sends them into the storm right? He sends them into the storm. Why? Because Jesus is more concerned with the storm of attention than the physical storm for them. One commentary put it this way, he knew there was more danger in the favor of the crowd than in the fury of the storm. We we tend to be freaked out by the waves, right? By the wind, 
by the storms of trials, perhaps we should be more cautious about popularity and man's favor by being caught up in in man-made culture and man-made ideas. How many Christians bow to popularity and, and popularity ends up ruining them or ruling them? So Jesus gets them away, gets away by himself because he's no, he knows there's no earthly crown that can compare with the heavenly one. And I hope you and I remember that as well. When it comes to popularity and success and acceptance, there's no crown that this world can offer that compares to a heavenly crown. The devil offered Jesus an earthly crown, right? And he rejected that because it would have cost him his mission. It would have cost him his purpose. And my friends, when we accept earthly crowns, it does the same thing for us. Cooper Cup, Super Bowl MVP, tweeted after winning just recently, do it to get a crown that will last forever. Priorities, right? Don't fall the, for the trappings of success and popularity. This is a temptation. And the bigger that your life gets, right, the more that you, the more that you have to stay on your knees to spot it. The more you have to stay in the Word of God, the more you have to be led by the Holy Spirit. Not every opportunity is from God, right? Not every pay raise is the right direction. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit to know the way we should go, to spot the difference. Praise God, though, that we serve a God that sends us into the storms. It's tempting to think that every storm that we face is, is from the enemy or every storm that we face is from our own stupidity, right? Making bad choices. To be clear, sometimes it is the enemy's doing, and oftentimes it is because we're stupid, right? And we do things that we know we shouldn't do. But sometimes the storms come from obedience. And I think that's the picture here that we see today. This, this came from being obedient to what Christ told them to do. They rode into the storm, and it wasn't an easy storm, right? It was a rough storm. The wind was against them. They were battered in, in Matthew's account. In, in John, the sea was rough. For them to say that the sea was rough must have meant something because these were men, some of them were fishermen, and they wouldn't be excited about some small waves. So this had to be something serious that they were facing. On top of that, they see this guy approaching them, walking on water. And the accounts say that they were frightened. One says terrified. Notice, too, where they were. My account says 25 to 30 stadia they had traveled. Other translations say they had rode three or four miles. The Sea of Galilee was about six miles across from where they were traveling. So they're halfway, a little bit past halfway, too far to turn back, right in the middle, right? Facing wind, though, and waves, preventing them from going where they need to go. They're stuck, and there's no Jesus. That's the worst place to be, right? And yet, it's right where he wants them to be. It's the perfect place for them to grow. Jesus needs them to have greater strength. Jesus needs them to have greater fortitude. Jesus needs them to have greater trust. He also needs them to be small. I love what he said, Lanny. He needs them to be small. You know what I mean? Fame and success, it puffs us up. Certain positions in our job puff us up. Storms make us feel small, really small. 
He needs them to feel small so that they look up to God and see how big he is. It's recorded that David sat before the Lord and said in 2 Samuel 7, 18, Who am I? Was it, wasn't that a, a part of Brent's statement? Who am I, Lord God? And who are the members of my household that you have brought me this far? Who am I that you take notice, right? When you feel the weight of God, even just the weight of his glory, it's crushing. It's overwhelming. It's humbling. It puts everything into perspective. It's like in science class when they show you the size of the earth and you're like, wow, that's huge, right? And then they put the earth in front of the sun and it's like a speck, you can't even see it. That's what it's like when we come into God's presence. Who am I? I am so tiny compared to you, Lord. Storms can put things into perspective. Storms can help our theology, what we understand about God. Hopefully we understand that God is in charge. God is in control. He told us to get into the boat, right? So there must be a reason. There must be a plan. And somehow this storm fits into it. I'm learning this more and more with being a pastor, right? I I believe we're being obedient, but sometimes it feels like we're rowing against the wind and the waves, not getting anywhere. I know he's in control, though, right? And I believe by faith there's a reason and a purpose for everything that happens. And I believe that if we're faithful with these storms, he'll grow us to the place that we need to be, to be able to handle bigger. If nothing else, it draws our attention to him. Things might not make sense, but he's in control. I believe he's growing us through these storms. I believe he's preparing us. Maybe that's you too. Maybe you're in the storm. Maybe you're being obedient, and yet you still find yourself in a storm. Maybe we want bigger stuff, but maybe he knows we're not ready for it. We couldn't handle it. It would destroy us. He's prepping the disciples in these moments. He knows the time is coming when they're going to be entrusted to carry on his work, right? To be a part of what he's doing. Later, Jesus tells them in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Say what? Right? Haven't you ever been marveling at that passage? But that's what happened, right? In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says that at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place. Verse 15, we read that about Peter, that the people would just lay people on the ground where Peter was going to pass by. And if his shadow touched them, right, they were healed. Demons were cast out, right? Not just Peter, Paul too as well. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 says God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. I don't know what an extraordinary miracle is. They all seem pretty extraordinary to me. But so much so that the handkerchiefs or aprons that were carried from his body to the sick were healing people. It's amazing, right? Think about all the things we heard today. Praise God. It's amazing. And that's why they're in the storm, though. He's preparing them. He needed them to be humble, right? 
He needed to be, them to be full aware of who it was doing these things. The God of the universe. Same with us. If you're being obedient and you're going through the storm right now, there's a reason. Trust in that. He's doing something to prepare you, to protect you. Could you imagine the disciples facing this kind of power and God doing this things, these things through them and they weren't grounded, they weren't humble, they weren't fully devoted to God? Could you imagine what would have happened? Could you imagine their egos, how much they would have been puffed up, how they would have thought about themselves? God's preparing them. A, a normal road in a town has about 12 inches of stone and then an intermediate layer of asphalt a couple inches thick, and then a couple inches thick more of a, a surface layer of asphalt. That's a typical road in town. 224, it's a lot beefier, though. The stone goes deeper, the asphalt's thicker, because it has to handle those extra heavy loads that come through it. It's designated as a, as a heavy and wide load route, so it has to be built bigger, deeper. The, the road that they launch the space shuttle on, the road that they carry the rockets, the road that they carry all those riggings, that road is developed to a depth of 30 feet. 30 feet. That road is carefully engineered and prepared so that it can handle the weight that's put on it. Right? And if it wasn't, that road would get torn up. And it's the same with us right? Sometimes we're at a point where we're just a dirt road. Sometimes he lays a couple layers of asphalt on us, though. Sometimes he digs us all up and takes us deeper. Those, those moments aren't always fun, but there's a purpose to them. I believe that Jesus sent them into the storm because he saw how big their eyes got when the people wanted to take him by force and make him king when they were experiencing all the favor of those 20,000 people. You ever notice that whenever the crowd got big, Jesus preached a tough message? Pastor Doug pointed out last week when he said, hey, Jesus told the people, hey, you're going to have to eat my flesh. And the people are like, what? That's a tough saying. That's a tough teaching. And John 6, 6, 6, John 6, 66 says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Before God can do great things through us, he must do great things inside us. And so we go into the storms. There's a purpose in the storms. Even the storms that we cause, right, with our stupidity, God can use them to grow us. When you find yourself in the storm, remember the God that you serve. When the waves come and it's easy to just completely focus in on the waves, it's easy to forget who our God is but he can be with us through those storms. They should have had some great reminders, right? We're on week five of the miracles of God, the seven signs of God. They should have had some great reminders. They should have had some great reminders regarding water. Jesus changed water into wine, right? Two weeks ago, we talked about the man who was looking to get into the water, but Jesus showed that he was the true living water, right, with them. Last week, Jesus uses a kid's lunchbox to feed 20,000 people. And do you remember how many baskets of food were left over, were gathered up? Twelve. One for each of the disciples. They all carried a basket, which if you look at the Greek word, kofinos, it was more like a backpack. 
that they, that they would carry their food in. Man, and they filled them full. A backpack of reminders of the power of God. They would have been carrying it with them. They would have brought it into the boat, right, that they were in right now. It's probably sitting at their feet. A great reminder on the power and ability of Jesus Christ, right? But they still got frightened. They missed it. Where's Jesus? The answer's at your feet, right? The answer's at our feet. God always knows what we're facing he has a plan for every difficult area of our life, every dark day that we're going through. And if we just look down at those reminders, if we just look up to him, we'd remember. We'd remember that we've been in trials before, haven't we? But God was good. God was faithful. God got us through them. And if he did that then, then what must he be preparing to do right now? Be reminded, don't forget God, Mark's gospel tells us the entire storm happened because of chapter 6, verse 52. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. How did they miss it? Every time I'm tempted to say, how did they miss it? I'm thinking, how do I miss it? How do I miss all the goodness of God? How do I miss all of the things that he's doing in my life, Lord, open our eyes, right? They are not in a place to handle what was happening because they were swept up with the popularity contest. They missed it because they were focused in on the wrong thing. But praise God, he gives them another opportunity to learn. He gives us other opportunities to learn, right? He gave them another opportunity to be humbled, to grow, to get things focused in on right, I know the storms are scary. I know they frighten us. I'm not diminishing that in any way. But hear Jesus' words to them in verse 20. It is I. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. It is I. Literally translated, I am. Don't be afraid. I am. You recognize that phrase, right? When God speaks to Moses in Exodus 3, Moses is like, what if they ask me your name? Who should I tell them is sending me? And God says, tell them I am. That name for God means that God is the existing one. He has no beginning, no end. He is totally self-sufficient. His existence is not dependent on anyone or anything else. It demonstrates his divinity. Here is Jesus saying, don't be afraid though, I am. Besides the seven signs, the seven miracles that we're looking at in this series, there are seven significant moments in the Gospel of John where Jesus reveals who he is through seven I am statements. If you keep reading, Jesus is about to say, I am the bread of life. A little bit later, he's going to say, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And lastly, I am the true vine, branch life, right? Jesus was continuing what God told Moses. He was confirming his divinity. And my friends, you don't have to be afraid of the waves when you know him, when you trust him, when you put your faith in in him. You don't have to be filled with fear and anxiety. Look to God. 
Today, some of you may be in a storm. Waves are getting rough. Winds are against you. You might feel like you can't get anywhere, that you aren't making any progress. And these challenges don't make sense to you, right? Why would God allow these things to happen? You can't see the way forward. You can't see the purpose from it, right? You can't see how to overcome these rough waves. Can you remember this? The things in life that we're most scared of, the things in life that cause us the most problems, whether it's a situation or a person, a stormy thing, the thing that we're most scared of, he walks on. Amen? He walks on those things. They are no big deal to him. In the book of Job, Job talks about the power and majesty of God. In verse 8, in, uh, verse eight he says, Who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea? He walks on it. Not only that, but the very thing that they feared, right? The raging sea was merely a set of steps to bring Jesus to them, right? How often do we fear the difficult experiences, but how often are those experiences the the things that bring us closer to Jesus Christ? Independence on him. When we're not even looking for Jesus, when we don't even want anything to do with him, Right? How many times do those experiences come into our life and bring us right to his feet? Praise God for the storms. It's a fierce storm. Jesus is walking out to him like nothing. Right? It's a raging storm to us, but to him, it's no concern. He walks on it. That should give us confidence in the storms. I can testify that he calms the seas. I can testify that he stands with us through the fire, right? I can testify that he's gotten me through the storms. I can testify that the toughest storms in my life have been the ones who have brought me closest to him, and I can praise God for those storms today. And I know I'm not alone. Amen? Would you stand with me? My friends, don't be fooled. Don't panic. Don't think he doesn't know what's going on. Keep trusting him. Keep trusting what he is doing. Trusting that there's a reason. If you're obedient and the waves are coming against you, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be something he's teaching, something that he's doing. There has to be a plan. He's he's preparing you for something. He's preparing to take you deeper. He's preparing to give you something that you can't handle right now. But when you get through the storm and you renew your focus in on him, you're reminded how small you are, how big he is, right? When you're reminded that you can trust him, then you'll be ready for those moments. Trust that he's with you. Trust that he's in control. He puts you into the boat, right? It wasn't a mistake that you're here just because the storm's coming, just because the waves are against you. He told you to cross over to that other side. 
And if he told you that, I don't care what gets in front of you. I don't care what gets in your way. I don't care what comes in your path. He'll get you there. He's God. Not on your own strength, right? Despite your own strength. When you lean on him, when you put your faith and your trust in him, he'll get you there. So if it's 3 a.m. and you find yourself, you've been rowing all night, right? And the waves are getting rougher. And the wind's coming against you and you're like, what am I going to do? Why? Why is it getting worse? Why, when I'm being obedient, is it getting worse? Praise him. That's the moment to praise him, right? Praise him for what he's doing. Praise him for what he's going to do through this. Praise him for what he's about to do, right? That takes complete faith. That takes complete trust to praise him in the storm. And that's what we're called to do. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I don't know who's in the storm right now. I don't know what's going on in these lives, but you know everything. Lord, I pray that they would be able to trust you through them. Lord, I pray that they would be able to praise you in faith for what you're doing, for what your plan is. Lord, we can't see it, but you know it. You've prepared it in advance. You're making the way. Lord, and so we we humbly come before you and give you praise. Not for the storm, Lord, but what you can do with the storm, through the storm. We give you all honor and praise, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.